This message first aired on the radio on July 30th, 2003. We're taking up the dispensation of promise, and in that dispensation, substantially, we have so far taken up the life of Abraham, who was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he was called out from his father's house and the traditions that dictated his life into a land that God showed him, and it was then that the Word of God came to him more fully. But Abraham went out not knowing whither. Don't you worry about it. You follow the Word of God, which Abraham also did, and we also see that Abraham had a degree of separation. As a matter of fact, he was separate from the world. He was in the world, not of the world. A friend of mine, when the question is whether or not to ordain as a leader a homosexual, it's too late. And of course, the Episcopalian Church is a sister, a very close sister. In fact, maybe we'd even say a daughter of the Anglican Church. And in the Anglican Church, the largest Anglican membership in the Anglican Church is the Low Church membership in East Africa. And I've had a decade of experience there. I'm welcome in those churches where the Word of God is still honored to a large extent. For example, it's not that the church, uh, the Anglican Church in Kenya is not got its severe problems. It does, but friends that haven't wandered this far from the faith, only in America or Europe could this even be some kind of question that's entertained. And as a preacher, by the way, I'm often puzzled by those who would have me to speak frequently against homosexuality or speak frequently against abortion or the murder of children. And I have to say that, frankly, when preaching the gospel, these issues arise, but when teaching Christians, these issues are so simple, they don't really need to arise much, and I don't like to go into harangues about them because, frankly, I feel like it's so much of preaching to the choir. But on the other hand, whereas we may condemn these things or not do these things because we have consciences left, it is still a matter of association. And Abraham was certainly not saved by anything other than he believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, but he was only useful to Lot to the extent that he kept himself separate from the world, which Lot loved. So if you love your brother, separate yourself from the world and continue in that separation, and God can use you, as it tells us in Second Timothy 2, verse 24. Now, we're taking up this dispensation of promise, and it's going slow. I had one caller call me after my broadcast and said, I'm very glad to hear you go through the book of Genesis and teach the book of Genesis. And it just seems like that's what I'm doing, but I'm not. I promise I'm not. I'm going to come back sometime if the Lord continues me and we live to take the different books of the Scripture up in more detail we're trying to provide an overview of this dispensation, but it is so substantially the life of Abraham that we do seem to be going chapter by chapter through the teens and twenties of Genesis as the Bible unfolds. And the Bible does unfold out of itself. It is an amazing book. It is the most amazing thing on earth. There is nothing to compare to the scriptures on earth, nothing so amazing, nothing so long-lasting, not real estate, certainly not buildings. Uh, certainly not family history or future history of families. 
even marriage itself will not last nearly as long as the Word of God. The Word of God is the only eternal thing that we have here below, and so uh, the Word of God is so amazing as it unfolds. And so we have to be careful to get the Word of God right early. And what I mean by that is if we miss Genesis 1, then we miss the whole Bible. So we have to get the Bible right early on. And so much of the New Testament scriptures emanate out of the dispensation of promise and the life of Abraham that we just can't help ourselves but to take maybe a little extra time passing through that. As Abraham passes through the land that he never takes possession of, we want to be careful and pass through it with him slowly so that we get this dispensation correct. And to that end, now I'm going to pass over some of the scripture. We left off our study talking a little bit about the promise of Isaac. And we also talked a little bit about Ishmael and how it is that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, Hagar, first, and one by the free woman, Sarai, second. And Sarah, when she conceived, brings forth Isaac, and he is going to be the seed promised to Abraham and not Ishmael. And that, of course, is only told to us in the Word of God, and so that the title deed to the land given to Abraham, which is God's land, given to Abraham and to his seed that follows him, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and of course he is a Jew. So the title deed to the land that yet will be given to Israel is in the Scriptures and the Scriptures only. I had an interesting occasion some years back. Every, all once a year or twice a year, there are particular topics that arise different places in the city, and I saw a public notice inviting visitors to a Jewish synagogue here in town. I won't name it, but inviting visitors to a Jewish synagogue to hear about the nation of Israel and whether or not God wrote the scriptures was actually the topic, and I was interested in that, and I took time out to visit on Saturday. It was well-received, certainly welcome. And at the end of this speech, it was by a liberal Jewish theologian. I believe he was from Union Theological Seminary. At the end of his speech, they asked, were there any questions? And there were a few questions. And when all the questions were finished, I raised my hand. And the fellow said, well, you must be a Christian. And I said, well, how did you know? Could you tell by the suit I wore? And they laughed. And he said, well, no, I could tell because you walked in here with that big book. I said, well, that's my Bible. He said, yeah, that's what I thought. I said, well, I appreciate that you could see that I was a Christian because I carried a Bible. I didn't know Christians, very many of them carried their Bibles, especially to a synagogue, but that's what I want to talk to you about. I have only one question. Well, what's your question? And he was very challenging and a very sharp fellow, very well-spoken and, uh, you know, smart. And I said, my only question is, why are you and this fellow was teaching that the Bible was not written by Moses, that it wasn't divinely inspired, that it wasn't God's Word in truth. And I said, my only question is, why are you taking the title deed to the land of Israel from Israel? Because there is no argument that makes sense except that God gave it. And, well, with that, the leader of the congregation stood up and said, we have a wonderful time of questioning today. 
my friend, I want to tell you that we don't all believe like this guy says, but we're going to call this all closed. Well, that being said, you see, the title deed to Israel is in the Word of God. And until men all acknowledge the Word of God, who, by the way, is the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not going to be any settlement about that land that is in any way satisfying or lasting to anyone. And there will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when that happens, all of this problem in the Middle East, all of this contention between the descendants of Isaac and Jacob and the descendants of, for example, Esau and the descendants of Ishmael, and all of these problems will be sorted out and settled by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the seed to whom it was all promised. Now, that being said, we want to move ahead to the 21st chapter of Genesis, and God had promised that he would bring a son to Abraham through Sarah. And we start out with these gracious words of Genesis 21, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Now that's not surprising to us, but it is really encouraging to us. This only can be said about the Lord himself. He did what he said, and he came when he said. The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did as he had said. And so here's the Lord faithful. And this, by the way, is the conclusion that we can make of every dispensation. The Lord is faithful. He's faithful to his word, and we are not. And uh, both of those things give glory to God. The praise to God and the lack of praise to man are both glorifying to God, for it is God who made man, and it is God who has undertaken for man. And it says in verse 2, For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So not only does God always do what he says, but he always does it on time. I've heard men say they always do what they say, they always do it on time, and some do better and some do worse. But no man always does what he says on time. Only God does that. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, who Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And we talk about Isaac meaning laughter. Literally, specifically, the word Isaac means let him laugh. And you remember that when God promised to Abraham that he'd have a son, he laughed. And when God told Sarah that she was going to have a son in her old age, she laughed. Now she denied it, but yea, she did laugh. And that's part of the section of Scripture that we did pass over to get to Genesis chapter 21, because the second piece of the dispensation of promise is substantially occupied with the career of Isaac. And it begins here with his miraculous birth. And it is a miraculous birth that Sarah was able to have a child when she was 90 years old and bear Abraham a son just when God said he would. And verse 3, Abram called the name of his son Isaac. And then verse 4, And Abram circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now this is the practice of Abraham since this is the first circumcision that he had to do in his family since he was circumcised the year before. And you remember that 
Abraham was circumcised when he was 99 years old. Ouch. And Ishmael was circumcised when he was 13. Now Ishmael 14. And by the way, there are still those who circumcise young fellows at about the age of 13, anywhere from, say, 12 to 14. And these obviously learned a practice such as this from the practice that must have been handed down traditionally through Ishmael. And so now he has the sign of the covenant, and it is also with Isaac. But it is not that circumcision is in itself the covenant. It was merely a symbol or a sign of the covenant. And when we look at the life of Joseph, we'll see something interesting about that sign and some of what it really meant. But it is a sign of God's covenant. It is a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. But it is not the entire Abrahamic covenant, because the entire Abrahamic covenant was really to the seed, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you how much greater that covenant is than circumcision allows. Circumcision is the removal of the foreskin of the male. And even though there are some tribes that try to practice the horrible practice, being outlawed in many places, a female circumcision, God had better ideas for women than that. We'll talk about it in a minute. Well, we're back to talk a little bit about the importance of Sarah here. And you remember that the difference between Isaac and Ishmael, the real difference isn't Abraham. Abraham, the father of both of them, the difference between Isaac and Ishmael is that Ishmael was born of the bondwoman and Isaac was born from Sarah. Now, these things are written for our benefit and they occurred in the way they did for our teaching so that we could have the teaching of the New Testament lay out the real significance of this. So these things happened in order to lay out the typology that Ishmael represents the old nature or the the human nature, the fleshly nature, the Adamic nature that we inherit. You might even say the Noahic nature that we inherit, but it goes back to Adam, the Adamic nature of sin that we have. And Isaac represents the new man that God gives when we're born from above. So first the earthly and then the heavenly. But that by no means means that the reverse is true. In other words, it does not mean that Ishmael was an earthly guy, and Isaac was a heavenly guy. doesn't mean that at all. In fact, you read about Ishmael here, and I think, well, really, poor Ishmael. Sarah treated his mother very badly. Of course, Ishmael did mock Isaac, but one can understand certain animosities. But God blessed Ishmael, and God was with Ishmael, and God loved Ishmael. You see, a lot of times we look at the Scripture and we confuse the typology with the real feelings of God, and that's not true. Even though Ishmael typifies the old nature, Ishmael, blessed by God, and Ishmael is blessed by God in a permanent way, and not only that, but God loves Ishmael just as, I say, he loves the entire world, and Christ died for the sons of Ishmael every bit as much as Christ died for the sons of Isaac. Shouldn't need to be said, but does need to be said. We even see in the language of the Old Testament, the English translation, I should say, of the language of the Old Testament, 
some of what I think is apparent bigotry against Ishmael. And we'll look at this here now as we go through. So Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him, in verse 5. And Sarah said, God has made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Well, yeah, not only in his old age, Sarah, I mean, we can laugh with you because, I mean, you're no spring chicken. But you know what? She was like a spring chicken because she bore a child 90 years old. And what a wonderful blessing it must have been to her. Sarah, a woman of faith. Sarah holding out, hoping against hope, 90 years old, no child, God just promising. She laughs about it when she hears about it. It must have become quite a story to her and Abraham after those, oh, 25 years of hearing what God was going to do. And yet she had no evidence that God would do what he did other than his word. She had no reason to think. I'm sure she wasn't feeling better as the years went on, although I think God undertook miraculously for her physically. But here's what it says in Hebrews 11 about Sarah. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And so here we find this great woman of faith. Oh, yeah, she has her problems. You know, she was snitty with Hagar. She dealt harshly with her. She wasn't very nice. I suppose she was just like most women, a lot of times not very nice to those around them. But a woman of faith, a woman of faith. And I want to say that only Christianity gives true dignity to women. Of all the religions of the world, well, and I don't say Christianity is a religion, it's the truth, none of the religions of the world give dignity to women, but Christianity uh, very much gives dignity to women, their proper place, because in Christianity, the woman is not without the man, but the man is not without the woman in the Lord. After all, it was the Lord's plan to bring the Savior through the agency of a woman. And the difference between Isaac and Ishmael wasn't Abraham. It was Sarah. It was only through Sarah that the promised seed would come. And even when Sarah died, promised seed did not come anymore through Abraham. Promised seed came only through Sarah. She bore Isaac. That was it. Abraham, even when he remarries later and marries Keturah, though he fathers more nations through her, still in all, the promised seed comes through Isaac, the only son of Sarah. Now, here Sarah breaks out in praise to God. God has made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abram that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And aren't we reminded immediately of the passage in Luke's gospel where Mary breaks out in great praise when she learns that she is going to bear miraculously the promised seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly what has become known as the Magnificat of Mary is somewhat related here to this wonderful spontaneous praise of God that we see Sarah making when she brings forth her child. 
in Luke chapter 1, you can find that wonderful praise that Mary breaks out in. It reads as this in verse 46, My soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Just want to point out to you that hold that Mary is sinless. Only sinners need a Savior. God is Mary's Savior. That woman that you talk about that you think was assumed bodily into heaven and that never sinned, she doesn't exist. This Mary, a sinner, needs a Savior, wonderfully also descendant from Adam in the line of Eve, and the promised seed came through this sinner. For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, she says, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, which is true. She and Jael, Jael, both called blessed by every generation. Uh, Jael driving a stent take through the head of Sisera, for those of you that aren't familiar with her. For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Point out that only sinners need mercy also. He has showed strength with his arm, and has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And so we see now this here is the passage of Scripture about Abraham's seed that is referred to also in the book of Galatians. This is Isaac. And there is a parallel here between Isaac as he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not like the Lord Jesus Christ, but he is a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in his birth, but also later in the chapter that we'll come to in a moment. So here is Isaac, and of course it says in verse 8, and the child grew and was weaned. This even spoken of of the Lord Jesus, who grew in favor with God and men. It says here, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Let me just put a little paragraph mark here in a parenthesis and tell you that Abraham didn't rejoice until Isaac was weaned, and I'm going to use this occasion to talk to you a little bit about your son's fathers, and that is they need to be weaned away from their mothers. I coached baseball, well, as long as I could until the leagues wouldn't let me coach because I prayed with my teams. I also taught, by the way, at university until the universities objected to me praying before I taught my classes. But that being said, the sons need to be weaned from their mothers. Now, I realize that this weaning here has to do with mother's milk and nursing, and nothing wrong with that either. I think, well, I, I get into contentions with my own family that I'd like to see those kids nursed for a good long while so that they pick up their immune system very well from their mothers. But there is this separation where a, a boy needs to be a boy from the time he's little, and he needs to be weaned from his mother, and he needs to be taken up, really, with his father, as Abraham made a great feast for this little boy. And you want to know how old this little boy is? He's like 
four or five years old here. Not when he was weaned. I'm sure he was weaned by the time he was a couple years old. Maybe no more than that. Maybe he was five. I don't know. I think a couple years. But certainly Ishmael's going to go away from him and be removed from him when he's five years old. And we just don't boy up our boys enough in our generation. I'll say that. It's been my generation that failed to do that. The generation ahead of us, at least in my case, my father had strong relationship with me, and it was a male-to-male relationship that was a good one. But we just let our children, our boys especially, hang around with their moms and just be mommy's boy. Well, it's not mom's fault. It's dad's fault because he's just not there for his sons. When I coached baseball, I was beginning to say this, I was shocked that the mothers brought the boys to the ball field, and the mothers stuck around during the practice. Where were the fathers? So I encouraged the boys to get their fathers involved because the ball field was a place for fathers and boys. Well, we have a big mess on our hands, and I don't say we can save the world or turn around the society or anything else, but brother, you can turn around your own home, and you ought to do that, and quit trying to get a second vehicle or a bigger house or a better career and spend some time with your boy. Well, now, there you have it. Verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. And this is where we have the teaching of Galatians, chapter 3, where we see that child of the bondwoman mocked the child of the free woman. And this is a picture for us. We look into Galatians 4, we also see that. And we'll give a little bit of look into that. But what we see now is the inevitable strife between these two women and their sons. And this happens all the time. This happens in every culture. This is a universal thing, and it's probably one of these not-my-kids, but certainly this son, who is no doubt favored immensely by Abraham, that Ishmael didn't handle it very well. You know, remember, Ham didn't handle very well the great grace and favor that came to Shem and Japheth and the curse that came upon him, and his descendants didn't handle it very well. Well, it looks like Ishmael didn't handle the blessing through Isaac all that well, even though he's 14 years older than Isaac. So we've got really a young fella here. We've got a 19-year-old Ishmael and a 5-year-old Isaac. And, of course, I'm sure there were plenty of reasons for you take a 4-year-old. There's a lot of reasons to make fun of him. But this got Sarah all upset, and as this boy mocked, Isaac. And there's a lesson here for us, the New Testament teaches us, that the old nature just does not get along with the new nature. And this is a lesson for the believer. If you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is just confounding information to you, because you don't have two natures at war in you like we do. You have an old nature that sins, and then that's it. But if you're born again, you receive a new nature, and those two natures are at war. The old nature antagonistic to the new nature. And when the Christian begins to walk as he's led by the Spirit in his new nature, all they of the old nature, whether you yourself having the war within you, or those of the old nature who mock you, there is an enmity against the new nature 
just as there was enmity between Ishmael and Isaac. And that's here to teach us this. And we can look at that more particularly later, but we're trying to go through the career of Isaac here and see how it typifies so much of our Lord Jesus Christ and also what God is achieving in this dispensation of promise. So now this thing came to Sarah. Sarah saw this, and in verse 10 of Genesis 21, she says to Abraham, "'Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac.'" Now, Abraham learned something. It says, this thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now, that is, he loved Ishmael. We remember the great love that Abraham had for Ishmael. Abraham had the great affectionate love for Ishmael that when he said, shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear children? In Genesis 17, verse 18, Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Abraham loved Ishmael. David loved Absalom. Very similar when Absalom dies. David said, oh, Absalom, Absalom. And Joab said to him, look, buckle up, bud. This guy's uh, finished. Uh, You're making a fool out of yourself. He was your enemy. Quit crying. Move along. We'll move along in a minute. We'll talk further about career advising. at the career of Isaac as we move through the dispensation of promise. And where we're going, by the way, is to the next dispensation, the dispensation of law, as God establishes and creates Israel in a day. But we're talking about now the birth of Isaac, and Abraham was grieved at the statements of Sarah. And we see a little something about Abraham. He's learning a lesson here. He doesn't immediately just listen to Sarah. In fact, he's inclined not to listen to her. And wouldn't you know it, and boy is he married, wouldn't you know it, just the time that he has decided, now I'm not going to listen to that woman anymore. Last time I listened to her, I got into all this trouble with Hagar, and we had this whole Ishmael problem. And so I'm not going to listen to her anymore. And just as he perhaps said that in his own heart, God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And let me just remind you, brethren, that the time to listen to your wife is when God tells you to listen to your wife. And that's the only time, really, that you get your wife's advice. Otherwise, get the advice of the Lord. Now, I say that, and I can see some of the women just saying, well, listen, he told my husband not to listen to me unless God told him to. Well, that's right, and if you've got a problem with that, why don't you take that up with God and ask him to talk to your husband a little more often? And by the way, when you ask God to talk to your husband a little more often, will you be quiet and let God get a word in with your husband? Well, that being said, now he has... This confirmation from the Lord, pay attention, Sarah's right this time. And, brother, when the Lord tells your wife's right, uh, don't be so proud and arrogant. You know, just follow through and listen to her. You don't have to say, honey, you're right, but that doesn't hurt. 
Here now, verse 14, Abraham rose up in the morning, took bread and a bottle of water, and gave it to Hagar, and put it on her shoulder and a child and sent her away. Now, this was very difficult for Abraham. Remember, he's obeying God. He's not cruel. He's not wanting to do this. It goes against his emotions and his natural affections, but he's going by faith and not by sight. And it says, she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba down south in the desert. It's a difficult place. It says, and the water was spent in the bottle. And here's where I don't think the translators are fair. This is a 19-year-old boy. And, yeah, he's faint. There wasn't enough water for both of them. And it reads this way in your King James Version. She cast the child under one of the shrubs. Well, first of all, let's be realistic here. Let's just say Hagar is a strong woman. I don't think she can take a 19-year-old boy and throw him under a bush. What's happened here is this, and the word here is child. It's used this way in another occasion where we think that it's little children that are mocking the prophet Elisha when, in fact, it's older fellows about like this, 19 years old, as one told me, seminary students, and that figures. But here is a 19-year-old man. He's weakened, certainly. He's sick, very possibly, from a lack of water, dehydration, exposure, whatever it could be. She places him under the shrubs. Now, why is that? She's nursing him. She's not throwing him away like you might read here. She's not just uh, helping him die. She's placing him in shade. Wouldn't you do the same? And she went and sat down over against him a good way off because she doesn't want to see him expire, as it were, a bow shot. So there you have maybe a few hundred yards maximum. Let me not see the death of the child, for she said. And she sat over against him, and that is away from him, and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What ail thee, Hagar? Fear not, God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him in thine hand. I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, literally a springing of water, or a fountain of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And let me just say for a moment that when all is in despair, and when you are at the end of anything you can do, and it just seems like everything is over, that is where our Lord Jesus Christ shows up for you. He is the well of water ever springing, as the hymn says. He has for you living water, and whoever drinks of this water will never thirst. And we have a wonderful picture here also, I want to say, with Ishmael, of God hearing the prayer of the one who is cast down, of the one who is in despair, and that's also a picture of Ishmael. So now we also have verse 20. My Christian Zionist friend, here is what it says in Genesis 21:20, and God was with the lad. Now it doesn't say Jehovah, he's not in covenant relationship, but God not only saved Ishmael, but God remained with Ishmael. And he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. Well, and he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Well, that now we just have a little side statement. 
as we talk about Ishmael a bit. We want to cut the Word of God straight, and where it speaks to us in type concerning the old nature and the new nature and so forth, we want to take those lessons. But when we consign backwards to those sinners, and we're all sinners, when we want to consign back to ourselves some kind of innate righteousness because of our descent, or perhaps exceptional unrighteousness to those who have a different descent, we do err, and we err greatly. The Lord chose Israel, it's true, but he didn't choose them because there was anything nice about them, and he's the one that said that, not me. Well, we skip ahead now, and we find the perhaps seminal event in the career of Isaac, and in the career of Abraham, we come to Genesis 22, where you see God testing Abraham. It came to pass after these things, God did test Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I tell thee of. Now, that's an amazing statement. Here is one of the mountains of Moriah, in the land of Moriah. This is a word meaning provided by Jehovah. And, of course, it's so named because Jehovah is going to provide here in this. But imagine this word comes to Abraham, and here we see the test of Abraham, the true test of his forward-looking faith as if he wasn't tested enough looking backward on the promise of God, that God would do what he said he was going to do, and he waited patiently for the word of God to come to fruition. But now, and this is quite some time later, here we have Isaac fully grown, perhaps 33 years old, we may suspect, but certainly in the range of the 30s. And God tells him, take your son and Offer him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that I'll tell thee of into the land of Moriah. And so it's one of the mountains in Moriah. And wouldn't you know, also our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on one of these mountains, as we can discover in the gospel accounts, especially Matthew. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and split the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. Now we even have here the picture of Abraham taking Isaac up this mountain. Abraham said to his young man, Abide you here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. So he's going up with these two, and Isaac, and he leaves the young men with the donkey, and he takes Isaac up. And you see, we don't know what's going through Abraham's mind here, except that in the book of Hebrews it tells us that Abraham was going to go forward with this sacrifice of Isaac because he now believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead as necessary. And Abraham took of the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, he took fire in his hand, and a knife, and they went both of them together. And I want you to see Isaac as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's 30-something years old. He's going with a man 130, perhaps even going to 140 years old. Maybe we say he's a 
oh, let's just say he's 130 years old. There's not anywhere on earth a man this age, but if you've seen an old, old man, you can understand that no man 130 years old is going to wrestle this 30-year-old son of his and force him to go up this mountain. Isaac is going up the mountain willingly. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and Abraham said, Here am I. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb, or provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Well, really, there is so much typification here, and there's so much that can be said. We can only touch a couple of high points. But here we have father and son, of course, Abraham picturing God the Father, taking his only son to sacrifice him. And aren't we reminded that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son? And it's, uh, of course, just like God, that Isaac is being taken to Mount Moriah here in a picture to be sacrificed. We know he won't really be sacrificed except in a figure, as God will provide for himself a lamb to substitute for Isaac. But isn't it all a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was taken to Mount Moriah by God the Father and not by the Romans, by God the Father and not by the Jews? He was taken to Mount Moriah by God the Father. God the Father is the one put him on the cross to die for the sins, and the Lord Jesus Christ was not forced to go that way. He steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. He told us, I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it up again. He willingly laid his life down. Truly, God will provide for himself a lamb for an offering. And they came to the place where God had told him of, verse 9, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, here again, Isaac compliant. Abraham, by himself, binds Isaac his son. Isaac goes along with it. We talk about the faith of Abraham. We also here have the faith of Isaac. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son, to offer him as a burnt offering. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Now, God tested Abraham, and God told Abraham, well, now I know how you are, but who really is the one here who learns anything? God doesn't learn anything. God knows the end from the beginning. God knows what Abraham will do and won't do. It is Abraham here who learns also about his own faith. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram was caught in the thicket, and he offered him in the place of Isaac. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, friend, that God has sacrificed someone in your place. If you, as you hear the word of God, as you come to terms with yourself in your own life, you realize that you're the sinner. I don't need to detail your sins. You know what they are. You know, for example all the failures that you have done or of the failures that you have done. But what I do want to tell you is that the Lord Jesus Christ is our greater Isaac. He's the one who 
laid down his life willingly. God the Father sacrificed him in your stead. And we know this is true because he rose out from the dead, declared to be the Son of God with power. Well, Abraham now calls the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, or the Lord provides, and doesn't the Lord provide. As it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. 